the same thing with you know X-ray vision. I actually see that this is the future of work. It's something that we will definitely be living with, just like how we can't live without our mobile phone. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about Western Australian startup founders who have been there and done it, or are right here and doing it in WA. My name's Steve, and my name's Chris. And before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast in the land of Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Startup West is produced by Startup News and sponsored by the City of Perth, RSM, Space Cubed, Techon, Curtin University and Dinner Twist. And wait till the end of the episode for a $30 off voucher from Dinner Twist. In this episode, we speak with Esther O, CEO and founder of XRAI vision startup, Agiliate. Esther, welcome to Startup West. Can you tell us about your startup business, uh, what it does, how it's going? Yeah, so I'll explain a bit about Agiliate, what it stands for and what it means. So it's an adjective meaning empower to work smarter, faster and safer. And we do this by using extended reality, artificial intelligence and computer vision integrated into a smart glasses platform so that we can connect frontline or remote workforce, you know, in healthcare, aged care, emergency services and defence to off-site specialists or AI assistance when there's no human or internet available. So our hard work paid off as we won the multiple grants and awards um, in artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, innovation and tech for good. Um, and we're very busy running pilots and uh, raising our seed capital. Amazing. That's sensational. Um, how did you first come about the idea? What, you know, what was that first idea, that genesis moment? And I guess how did it change and, and how have you pivoted since then? Well, I founded the business uh, because my son lost his vision from medical errors and delays. Um, which actually precludes him from more than 60% of the jobs. Mm. So mm. during those dark moments, I had doctor friends who also died from COVID because it was wow. the COVID lockdown. Yeah. And uh, my eldest son is now studying medicine to help those in most need in all these uh, remote communities. So that's why I decided to do something about this misdiagnosis and delays problems, uh, which affects more than 134 million people yeah. every year by delivering this expertise or AI assistance on demand in real time to close that knowledge, skills and time delay gaps that cost lives and jobs. So as a business for good, we're very purpose-driven to do three things and we haven't pivoted ever. So three things, which is to save lives, protect the workforce and transform the way humans see, learn, work and even play. Wow, that's um, that's really amazing. And uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so far, what have been some of your challenges or even successes uh, for the business of, da- of date? Mm. So for successes, you can really Google Agiliate to find out what media says about us, you know, including calling us the world's first intelligent eyes uh, mm-hmm. to save and protect those on the front line. And also one of the top AI companies at the world's largest digital health expo in Las Vegas last year. So I think for startups, the biggest challenge is really raising capital. Because 99% of the investors want to see like huge customer contracts, your sales pipeline before they invest. But customers, which is one of the traction points that they want to see, especially governments and enterprises are risk averse to startups. So there's an inherent conflict of interest because a lot of the backend staff in large companies are only interested to keep their jobs safe 
right, by using another large company. So the tenders are actually returned to favor the big guys. They don't really care about how many people die on the front line or the devastation it makes to the patients, their families, uh, or even the front line work- workforce. Then you also have a problem of banks not going to lend startups because you don't have, you know, at least three years of audited financial statements showing yeah. 300% year-on-year constant yeah. growth. <laughs> so that's... This huge unspoken bias and challenge, I think, against innovative startups, particularly if you're doing things differently to challenge the status quo, really stifles true innovation and free competition. So the big contracts just keeps going to the big same global companies and uh, innovative SMEs like ourselves remains as the bottom feeders. So for example, we do... 80% 80% of the job as a subby for them, but only get 20% of the money right. because mm. we don't have that huge financial backing or certifications or manpower to sign the contracts with the government, for instance. So I think it's really time we need to change this kind of narrow mindset. We have to learn to embrace different, you know, push innovation and don't be afraid to fail. You know, support local small startups. This is why the... Silicon Valley thrive and we don't. You know, they supported Canva and Alencia when they were small, but the Aussies only want to invest in them after they are really big like mm. a unicorn. Yeah. So now, Esther, thank you so much for that. It's, it's really intriguing to hear other people's views of, you know, the, the startup scene and the investment options and the attraction there. So you've spoken about those those difficulties there. I guess how have you then um, as, as a business owner and a founder funded uh, the, the business to date and do you have, I guess, trusted advisors that you can lean on or a board or any mentor as well that's, uh, I guess, assisted in the process too? Mm-hmm. So initially in the first few years, I just sold everything I could to bootstrap the business, okay. you know, from my jack to my shares, even mortgage my house yeah. uh, for the business. Uh, but we are really one of the rare fortunate startups that raised seven digits based on a concept from seven external and highly reputable investors. So including foreign direct investment from a Singapore VC fund. Um, I'm also very blessed with my co-founder, Chris McCovic, and have a very supportive board and incredible mentors here, you know, like Kerry Sanderson, Anil Tefani, Dr. Chris Payton, you know, uh, Wilson Casado, Peter Rosdusher, Sean Parr, a lot of professors like, you know, Professor Fiona Wood, um, Colin Song, Kevin Fledger, and um, there's so many people, you know, who have helped us along our journey. And of course, we have the legendary Charlie Gunningham as well. You know, they are really good people who sort of kept me on the straight path. Great. That's a, a, a amazing team there of, of people who have, you know, supporting your back. So that's really great to, to know. Um, so with the journey up to now, uh, what are you trying to achieve now in, I guess, the next year or over the next few years? Okay, so we have built, you know, from a concept to a working prototype that our customers call the minimum lovable product. <laughs> so it's not perfect <laughs> yet, but it's still lovely anyway. I love that. <laughs> um, and we really want to make this minimum lovable product into an everyday essential tool to help those on the front line. You know, it's something that they can't live without just like how we can't live without our phones. And we really want to be able to measure as the global ESG impact we are making as well and document, you know, the meaningful impact it made to those who are most in need, you know, like the indigenous, remote, elderly and disabled communities. And that 
that is to really leave like a legacy and an inspiration for future generations to use AI for the betterment of mankind. Amazing, amazing. Um, how would you describe the local startup scene in WA? So I guess bringing it back out um, from your company and your direction, the local startup scene in WA, how do you feel? Mm, we don't have a very robust startup ecosystem like I see in the US or Singapore or even New South Wales and Victoria. They have a wider pool of sophisticated investors who understand deep tech. They have larger startup funding from both the public and private sectors. Um, but I think Minister Stephen Dawson, his team, and together with some public-private partnerships that they're doing, are trying hard to create that ecosystem in WA to attract investment and talent to us, to our state, which is a, a good start. Yeah, he's been terrific today, him and his team, for sure. Agreed. Um, Esther, to date, what sort of companies or people have impressed you that you've seen? Oh, there's so many wonderful people and I respect them a lot. Uh, in WA, we're very fortunate. We have really um, honest people. We give you honest feedback and it's something that I really appreciate, you know, given that I've worked globally as expert in many countries. Um, but someone I really like to mention is Dr. Tim Inglis at the WA Country Health Ser uh, Service. He's constantly coming out with great ideas and how we can do things better. And he has such a big heart for helping others. Um, yesterday, I just published my first maiden blog about him running the London Marathon this April with our X-ray vision smart glasses to raise funds for disabled kids. You know, running 42 kilometers like at 64 under five hours is incredible. Amazing. Like I can't even do four kilometers in four hours for the HPF <laughs> run, right? And I wish like, man, I did some roller blades. Um, you know, the amount of training, the perseverance, the pain and the blisters to do this, just to give disabled kids a set of wheels to move mm, around yeah. is really incredible. Like I really urge... Um, you to have a look at my LinkedIn post or read the blog we have on our website for more details. Brilliant. Um, Esther, what can we do better at as, as a WA startup community? Where do you think the gaps are? How can we improve, I guess, in the short term? Uh, there are some moving pieces there. You mentioned about Minister Stephen Dawson and his team who are doing brilliant things moving forward and, and taking things to the next level. I guess, what are the other areas and, and gaps that we really need to, I guess, fix as a, as a community? Mm. I think one of the problems we have, which is not just in WA, but I think globally we have information overload. But a lot of this information are actually not useful or relevant. Uh, we're not able to really pick it up to be able to, you know, give the expertise or that knowledge, let's say, that startup founders need to know uh, before they get into, you know, costly pitfalls. But I also think we can do better at capturing and sharing that knowledge and passing on that wisdom from one generation to the next and really capturing it into an AI model that can help humans make better informed decisions in real time. So especially if you're under like extreme physical or mental stress. Um, and this is something Agility is trying to bridge the gap. And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Dinner Twist and TechOn. Esther, can we take you back through your career from your school days uh, up to now? Uh, were you born and bred in Perth or uh, elsewhere overseas? 
Well, I was born in Singapore, uh, where the culture is uh, very interesting. We there's two words to describe the Singaporean culture. So it's kiasu and kiasi. That's English meaning. Kiasu means you're scared to lose. Kiasi means you're scared to die. (laughs) So that's the mindset. And I think sometimes the environment really gets very ingrained into you. You know, so Mm -hmm. that like for me, I remember as even as a young child in primary school, I always have to be number one. Mm. I never like, I actually feel disappointed if I came in second or third. You're a winner. You're a winner. So it's like, because of that mindset, you know, you uh, you need to always outperform, you know, have to outlive everyone, outlast everyone and, mm. and be the top. Um, and I went to, I studied at the top gifted school, uh, girls school, and I was very fortunate to be one of the two to get the uh, Monash Asia Pacific uh, scholarship to study in Australia at Amazing. 17. Sensational. So that really changed my life. And that's why I'm so big about this knowledge thing and, you know, passing that wisdom from one generation to the next. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, honestly. Um, Esther, what were your favorite subjects at school? Did you show any uh, leadership or entrepreneurial potential back then? And uh, did you have any ideas uh, what you wanted to do post school? Right, I was the ve- I, I was the student who's always asking questions, sitting at the front <laughs> row that all the teachers wished I didn't <laughs> ask. <laughs> so I have a huge appetite for for learning, and I devour knowledge like nobody's business. Like it's like, um, so I studied everything, and you, I mean, if you checked out my LinkedIn profile, I have almost every professional qualification in different <laughs> disciplines. Wow. Um, because of that thirst for learning, you know, it's like if I feel that I'm inadequate in something, then I'll go and learn it and go and study it so that I can actually use that knowledge for my day-to-day life or to solve problems. So um, interestingly, in terms of leadership, I've uh, always been a leader. Like, you know, even in primary school, I broke the world, I mean, I broke the school record for being the one with two golden plaques to my name. So I was the head prefect. And in Singapore, there's only one head prefect. You don't have a head boy and a head girl. I actually had to compete against all the boys. And Mm. most of the least was all the boys. Obviously, I was the only girl there and I also topped the whole school. So I was the only one who had two names uh, side by side on the golden plaque. And uh, in high school, I also broke the record for being the youngest um, person to be a swim captain. And it was very interesting. I only learned how to swim at 12 years old, like secretly learned how to swim, right? By starving myself and not (laughs) eating my lunch money. So I could secretly go to the public pool and watch, you know, the coaches teach the kids how to swim. So I self-taught myself to learn to swim at 12. By, I think by 13 or 14, I was representing the school in national swimming championships. And then by 15, I was the swim captain. So it never happened before. It's always like you have to be in your final year before you could be a swim captain. So that that sort of already, you know, show some kind of um, leadership journey. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of crazy things that I do that broke break world records. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in sincere appreciation of your achievements, I think they should rename the school to your name. Yeah, in all honesty, right. we should go, go talk to them about that one. Mm. Um, Esther, what what did you do after school? Yeah, university, what were those, um, I guess, degrees and and education that you followed through with? Yes, so I was very fortunate. I actually had, uh, because I was one of those perfect ATAR score people who could do medicine and basically, you know, have multiple offers as well. 
But um, I decided to do commerce and technology okay. because at that time, I realized that technology is moving very fast. And this is back in the 1990s, right? Um, and I see it as the global trend that's going to change the world. So instead of doing medicine or law, and I got offers from all these, you know, um, double degrees in, in Melbourne U and all the top universities, I wanted to do something that is global. That's not constrained by licenses and practicing certificates only mm. in a jurisdiction or in certain countries. So that's how I uh, went into both doing double degrees in commerce and uh, business systems, which is technology. And then I also went to do a master in law at uh, UWA. Um, but uh, in uni, I was also one of those who are very interesting. I actually went to the faculty head and uh, basically demanded that <laughs> I can swap, you know, six months of work experience for 18 credits so I don't have to study and I can actually graduate faster. And interestingly, I did get a job with the top consulting firm. I actually got paid more than most average graduate at that time as well. So that actually changed how the whole faculty worked because in the past, it's only the engineering department, yeah. like engineering kids can, can go and do six months and then get it accredited to their course, whereas ours were not. So oh, I basically well. finished my supposedly four-year degree in three and a half years. Wow. Amazing. That is uh, very cool. Um, so you were just mentioning, so that, that, that job, that role that you took at... Uh, well, your university, what was, what was that? And how did, um, like career wise, how did, um, up to now, how's that all yeah. worked out? Yeah. So interestingly, I was already like a part-time data researcher, uh, for Thomson Reuters mm -hmm. before I graduated. So, um, in my early days in uni, uh, which is really good because that's where we, we built, um, I was part of the, uh, Thomson Reuters Armstrong database group, which you're basically doing like very forefront, cutting edge artificial intelligence stuff. Of course, in those days, we don't have jargon like this. We just call ourselves the database group <laughs> and data researchers, <laughs> right? So, um, and we were analyzing the, uh, the stock exchanges of the world and looking for patterns and trends and to sort of predict what is going to come and uh, provide that commentary where all these uh, top banks and all these finance brokers would subscribe to. So this is still the largest financial database that uh, is used in the world today. So that was really good uh, grounding for me. And then I've got this consulting job at the top uh, uh, cons uh, consulting firm at Accenture. Um, it's very interesting. Back in those days, I was actually the only female software engineer uh, there. And obviously in a very near male-dominated uh, mm. office. Yeah. Um, so you get a lot of... Um, a lot of... Uh, interesting experiences as being, you know, the rose among the thorns kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I also was the one who uh, came up with a crazy idea and we pioneered the global mobile e-banking and biometric authentication systems to solve the Y2K problem and the cybersecurity. Mm. At that time, I remember when I actually, I remember the, the first Nokia phone the size of a brick just yeah, came out yeah. with a ginormous antenna, right? <laughs> yeah. Nobody owns one. Only my managing partner had one. Um, but we had a lot of large governments and all these stock exchanges and global banks. It's like, man, we're freaking out. You know, what happens if the Y2K, everybody's money Absolutely, just disappeared. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so the crazy idea was let's move it to a totally brand new, you know, 
infrastructure. So the mobile infrastructure is very different from, you know, all these Unix and, and anti-servers and all this stuff that uh, the banks were used to. So I remember that time hey, people were laughing at me. <laughs> they thought I was crazy. But uh, it wasn't. It actually became the mainstream technology that we cannot live without today. So the same thing with, you know, X-ray vision. I actually see that this is the future of work. It's something that we will definitely be living with, just like how we can't live without a mobile phone. That's amazing. So you've been a revelation. Absolutely amazing the journey you've been through. You mentioned that you were born in Singapore. Um, when did you move to WA and why? Ah, so moving to WA is interesting. So I got headhunted by a global company to move to Perth um, in 2009. So I came as a skilled migrant and I thought it's a good um, place to raise my kids. So it's mainly for their education and the character building. Um, because, you know, in Asia, in many countries that I worked as an expat, interestingly, all my three children were born in different countries because okay. I was working. And one of the workaholics who worked to the last day and in, that is legally allowed. Yeah. And immediately the next day I go into labor. So it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, so um, yeah. So Esther, we we know why you moved into or like to to do Agiliate, but um, what what do you know now? You wish you'd known at the start when you were starting. Mm. So if I stayed in my executive corporate career or moved back to Asia, I'll be making more than a million dollars a year, right? <laughs> Without the blood, sweat, and tears mm. um, of being a founder. So. You know, for people who are considering doing startups, uh, my advice is that it's not as glamorous as you watch on Netflix K-drama startup, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And it is not for everyone. You know, I've seen many startups with good founders fail, um, which not only cost them money, but their health, their marriage and their happiness. So really think carefully before you jump that leap of faith and seek advice, you know, talk to people who has been there and done it before. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Esther. That's uh, sage advice for all of our, our founders listening to today. Okay, I think we're going to move forward to a rapid quickfire round and uh, ask you a few quickfire questions. Chris, did you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Esther, what's the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? People with PPE, purpose, passion, ethics. Love it. If you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being? More genuine impact investors and first believers in great founders. Okay. Um, who do you most admire in the local tech scene, a company and or a person? Oh man, too many to name. Yeah. yeah. No, that's very <laughs> cool. That's a fair cool one. How can anyone listening here today help you? So if you're a clinician keen to use X-ray vision to do more with less stress or your strategic or impact investors, please LinkedIn me. Great. And uh, what do you do to get away from it all? How do you rest and relax? Um, Spending time, like quiet moments with my family, uh, especially in nature. I think we are very blessed in WA with some of the most stunning landscapes uh, and beaches. Beautiful. Esther, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation today and being upfront and honest with us and taking us through your journey. It's been an absolute pleasure for Chris and I. We'd love to wish you and your team at Gilead all the very best for the future. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Also, thanks to our sponsors, Startup West Podcast is produced by Startup West. 
and is made possible by support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, the City of Perth, RSM, Techon, and Dinner Twist. And here's the offer from our friends at Dinner Twist. So you can focus on creating your next unicorn, let Dinner Twist worry about dinner. Here is $30 off your first box. Enter SW30 at the checkout. Go to www.dinnertwist.com.au to get started. We recorded this podcast at Rift Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favorite podcast platform so our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.